find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! Belong in the circus, right next to the dog-faced boy. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey shit. Ah! Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol? And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner. He's an asshole. And Chris Honeywell. Boy, is he great. It appears we have lost our sex appeal, Captain. Yes. All right, welcome back to another episode of Two True Freaks, and um, this is this is this is going to be a fun one. We haven't had her on since since the two hundredth episode, which was only a few episodes ago. But now we have her for a whole episode. Hope Mullinex. Hello. And when How's I say we, I mean me, because Scott Scott's not here. But I don't think Scott's probably seen Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. It's or okay. part I just, one. I just ask, how is everyone, and you're the only other person. <laughs> Everyone's doing pretty good so far. <laughs> How's everyone doing over there? Um, everyone's doing good. Well, usually, usually, usually when uh, we have you on the show, you're on with like one of your friends or something, or on with a whole gaggle of people. So that is true. But um, so we're here to talk Deathly Hallows Part Two and. And I, I imagine we're going to have to talk a little part one just to, you know, when when it comes up, you know, to, to reference stuff that happens in, in part two. But part two is the big deal right now. Um, I am going to assume that you saw it at the, at the earliest possible moment that you could see it. Am I correct? I I tried my damnedest. I I got a twelve thirty showing because all the twelve o'clock ones were sold out. Were sold. So you didn't have your tickets like eight months in advance, or no, or I whatever. didn't. Because it was one of those. I've it was one of those things that surprisingly snuck up on me, and I was just like, "Holy crap! Harry Potter's in like three weeks!" And by that time, it was just a lost cause. I can't remember what the number was for pre-sales tickets for the movie, but it was just insane. Oh yeah, I mean, it, was, it blew Dark Knight out of the water. Good for opening weekend. Well, there's another one of those coming up, so maybe they'll get their chance to strike back. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. You know, um, it's just something that this was an entire decade. Uh, that it was the last movie summarizing a decade. The Dark Knight is just you know another reason to sit there and watch Christian Bale have throat cancer with himself. Exactly, and and you know. Um, what, what, what was I going to say? I can't even remember what I was going to say. <laughs> Something about throat cancer. 
Yeah, just about um, you know. I think I think basically now it has taken its place as the second most um, um, successful franchise since you know next to Star Wars, which it, very deservedly so. Although you know, it makes me wonder how much like. I don't know how many James Bond movies there are, but you would think that would be the most profitable franchise just because it's never ended, you know? It's been going since before I was born, you know? I don't know how that works. Is it, like, because, like, aren't they from different, though, studios? Does it buy studios that counts as a franchise? Well, I think there were were only a a handful of James Bond movies from another studio. I know, like, Never Say Never Again, and there was a version of Casino Royale and stuff. There were a few of, like, the Ian Fleming books that didn't get bought up by... I'm thinking that the producer's name was uh, Albert Broccoli. It was either Albert or Cubby Broccoli or Albert Cubby Broccoli. Is his name really Broccoli? Yes. And, uh, and he was the producer <laughs> of all the James Bond movies. You know, when I started watching James Bond movies, I... Seriously doubt that he's even alive anymore. You know what I mean? I, I I have a feeling he was pretty long in the tooth back then. But I think they've all been sort of under the same studio and and copyright and all that. And and even if the franchise isn't owned by the same people, it's still James Bond. You know, I guess it's the James Bond franchises as created by Ian Fleming. Although I don't think he's the last few have been based on Ian Fleming books, but but huh. that's that's not what we're here to to discuss, or even Star Wars. <laughs> yes, listeners, correct us if we're wrong in the forms, but let's talk Harry Potter. Yeah, and um, you know, um, we, we 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 might as well do this as as partial review, and you know, I mean, I'm I I don't think we should be shy about spoilers because I'm imagining. Everybody's seen it by now if they're listening and if they're on the fan and even if they haven't seen it if they're planning on seeing it I'm imagining they probably read the books. I, I'm gonna, the books I don't kids. know if, if you're planning on seeing it and you haven't read the books then I would suggest go ahead and download this podcast but don't like turn it off right now and then listen to it afterwards because yeah, yeah. honestly it's going to just ruin everything. If you don't know what happen what happens generally in the story I mean there's divergences in and you know logistical sort of switching arounds to get the movie you know to convey the story in movie form that are different from the book but for yeah yeah if you don't know what's what's happening you probably won't want to listen and i'll just say right now for my my review of the movie i love the movie i th- i think it was the strongest of all the harry potter movies if you count that you know even combined with part 1 you know, they make the strongest Harry Potter movie yet of the bunch. I, okay, I, I don't know what it was about this movie because I, it's my favorite by far of the franchise, like hands down. And like usually, like you've probably seen it, Chris, on my YouTube account. Like I have ones where I like walked out a movie videos where I walked out of movie six and just started blabbering into a camera. Like how I felt about it, and yes. like I've I've written reviews on all the other movies. I've written blogs and vlogs, but there's just something about this movie. I don't know if it's just like it put me right in the world of Nirvana or something. Mm-hmm. But I haven't written a view about it. I haven't written any blogs. I haven't written any videos. This is the first time I've actually oh, really talked to the internet about this movie. Oh, good. I'm glad we got. I'm glad we got you for it then. 
Yeah, you got the like, scoop. I just... There's this movie, I... It just felt really right. Like, I, I, I literally bought a, a box of tissues and took them with the theater to me because I remember after Lord of the Rings, I cried, uh, not just because in the movie, because the franchise was over. But I don't know if it's because of the Harry Potter community that I'm so much in and, like, the fact that wizard rock bands are still touring and the Harry Potter fans, like, mm-hmm. are still so into it. And with Pottermore coming out this year... Like, I just, I feel like it's not ending. Like, wait, 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 wait. what's right. Pottermore? Oh, did you not hear about Pottermore? I'm, I have no idea what you're talking about. J.K. Rowling is launching, um, it's pretty, okay, at first, see, I don't even really know what it is either, that's the thing. You, like, they kind of told us, but they kind of really didn't. But, uh, um, it's, it's going to make the Harry Potter books available to buy for the first time ever online. Um, and you buy it through this website called Pottermore, but... It's an interactive website, and she's already written something like 18,000 words of extra material. So you're going to get, like, new material, but it's interactive, and you have to interact with the other Harry Potter characters. Like, so when you first get into the Pottermore website, you get separated into a house. And if you're in any other house that's not Gryffindor, because you're, you're with the Gryffindors for all seven books, you will find out so much more stuff about the other houses and people in the houses and characters and stuff like that. But you won't get that if you're not in that house, so you have to interact with other people to get that information. Ah. And she's like already said that she's written up, has written up McGonagall's backstory, more about Dumbledore's backstory, about how Harry's aunt and uncle met. Like it's like it's all this new material that wasn't in the books because she couldn't fit it in. But you have to like interact to do it just to find it. And it's gonna and the books are gonna be available for the first time online to buy as well. That, you mean in digital form or? Yeah, just... like it hasn't been. I don't think it's been allowed to be released on ebooks or anything yet. Mm. Interesting. Actually, well. Yeah, so like I just, I guess unlike other franchises, I don't feel like it's over with. No, I yeah, she's definitely. Uh, it sounds like um, not as much as like the Star Wars EU, but it, it it sounds like yeah, it sounds like she's doing super. Director, she's taken a little bit of Star Wars and I think a little bit of J.R.R. Tolkien, because when he was done with when you know when 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 he was done with Lord of the Rings, you know he never he never took on anything like that again, a big overarching story. Mm-hmm. He just sort of I think the the only major thing he ever wrote he wrote a couple of short stories that were like that. They fit in somewhere, you know. Uh, but he wrote the Silmarillion, which was like an encyclopedia. It was which just I hear a history. Is terrible. Well, it, you know, I mean, it depends on what kind of person you are. It was almost like made for obsessive compulsiveness. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, I, 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 I think I tried reading it one time, and I just, I couldn't do it's it. It's not an, I, I, you know, I was a stubborn reader when I was a kid. I would not let a book beat me, and. And uh, that's how I read the Bible. I've read the Bible three times, <laughs> torturously each time, and and the same with the Silmarillion. I just slogged through it, you know, relentlessly, and it took me forever. And when I was done, you know, uh, there, I wasn't like, well, that was worth it, <laughs> you know. It was just like, <laughs> oh, not at all. You know, you think maybe if you get three quarters of the way through it, things will start tying together, and uh, no, it's it's just dryness for a thousand pages or so or more. 
I bet the Bible was more interesting. The Bible was more interesting. It, it was a very similar... Th- it was like the Bible without... Um, the cool and, stuff? Well, without the without the drama of the Bible. The Bible has opinions and dramas and... And plagues. And plagues and... And then people you know, and, like, and, wanting and, to kill their... Sons and well, they have dads st- wanting to knock up their hot daughters. The Bible has stories with that, some stories, you know. I mean, that's the thing about the Bible is the stories that have um, resonance as far as morals and and as as metaphors or whatever in people's lives are the ones that people remember. There's a lot of dry stories in the Bible too, where it's just sort of telling you. What how happened amongst generations sold. and how many goats were traded and how many begat begats and all that. And that's very much and that's pretty much what the Silmarillion is like from beginning to end. Lots of family trees. I never got into the whole song thing, and that was one thing that I liked about Lord of the Rings is they weren't singing songs every every five seconds like they were in the books. In the middle of the earth, in the land of Shire, lives a brave little hobbit whom we all admire with his long wooden pipe fuzzy woolly toes. He lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, he's only three feet tall. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all. Now hobbits are peace-loving folks, you know. They're never in a hurry and they take things slow. They don't like to travel away from home. They just like to eat and be left alone. But one day Bilbo was asked to go on a big adventure to the caves below. To help some dwarves get back their gold that was stolen by a dragon in the days of old Bilbo. Bilbo Baggins, only three feet tall. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all. Well, he fought with the goblins. He battled a troll. He riddled with Gollum. A magic ring he stole. He was chased by wolves, lost in the forest, escaped in a barrel from the Elf King's halls. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all. And usually if it was, it was like uh, like one of them sitting off to the side. Yeah, just sort of, yeah, it wasn't, you know, I mean, in the book it was like, come on, everybody, let's sing the song of, you know, blah, 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 the blah, 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 and oh. Now he's back in his home in the land of Shire, that brave little hobbit whom we all admire, just sitting on a treasure of silver and gold, puffing on his pipe in his hobbit, ho, ho, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, he's only three feet tall, Bilbo. you know and they'd all sing and and walk through the woods and and all that which i imagine is what you did in those days because it's not like hey let's let me put my ipod on shuffle and uh off we go guys (laughs) i just i just see a bunch of orcs just tracking them by the sounds of their ipods (laughs) too loud exactly but um yeah and uh Harry Potter, Harry Potter. That's right. Harry Potter. This <laughs> is <laughs> we're so bad. At this. Yeah, I, 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 it's funny that you anticipated bringing the tissues because I didn't think about that. I mean, I in the I, I watched 
part one again to just catch up before I went to see part two. And, you know, it had, I mean, the, I mean, I, I just, I don't know. Well, you, you, you know, Hope, I just recently lost a pet. And the scene where Dobby dies, although Dobby isn't a pet, he's still got that, like, um, pet-like, um, unconditional yeah. love, loyalty, you know, the, the simple and pure loyalty. So when, when Dobby died, and that was the one part of the first part where I was just like, oh, God. But I didn't expect it at all in the second part, and it was hitting me right from, from all through. It just unexpected parts in the movie. There were, there were just lots you, of very good emotional moments in the movie. Had you read the books before seeing the movie? Oh, yeah. Okay, just making sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really only, like, um, you, could, you, you, you could help me out on, the, on which number movie. It, which was the movie with the Screaming Shack and where Lupus... Lupin um, makes his appearance. Uh, that that would have been movie one. Okay, so which was the one? Oh wait, I'm sorry. Are you talking about? Are, are you talking about like uh, where Ramus made his first appearance? Yes. yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about the part in book seven where he was like, "Harry, take me with you. I hate my wife and my kid." Okay. Um. Anyway, that's movie three when Ramus shows up for the first time. Mo- movie three was when I first started getting interested in the movie franchise. I loved the director on that. I thought he did a great. He, it was the first one. I, I, I honestly, I didn't really like the first movie that much at all. I wasn't a big, big fan of the director. The way the director handled it, it was, although in the context of the way the story goes, it works. It's, it's a lighter movie. It doesn't. Well, it's supposed to be. It's just set up the rest of the franchise. Because you're yeah. supposed to be like book one when you're 11, book two when you're 12, book three when you're 13, like the way Harry is. So I mean, it, it was sort of like you were supposed to grow up with the franchise anyway. It, it had a. It has this sort of pseudo Spielbergy feel to it, you know. Mm-hmm. That that usually I like, but I didn't really like it in a Harry Potter movie because I wanted the Harry Potter movie to be just sort of its own thing and I think once after the first two movies they started bringing in more stylistic directors who also had a little you know and and you know to be fair the content matter got darker and more interesting and more nuanced as it goes on so but um these last I, I mean the 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 one before Deathly Hallows I thought was decent it was it was it was good and it was you know entertaining all the way through, but the the Deathly Hallows movies are the ones that I think I will watch over and over again, mm-hmm. and you know that's wh- I mean they're really that's where a lot of the exciting stuff happens, and you know and this is this is um, a testament to the book too is you, when you start a, an epic story like this with a horrible bad guy and you write it so well and you build it up so well i'm always used to it ending poorly or ending not as spectacularly or satisfyingly as i would want it to and harry potter didn't do that the ending of the 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 harry the last harry potter book was very satisfying and made sense and didn't feel forced or rushed or Overdone or underdone, it was perfect. You know. Are she you talking w- about the end or the epilogue? 
the not the epilogue. The, the okay, way it resolves. Say, oh, shit. <laughs> the way the way it resolves with with Voldemort. Yes, that's that's the part favorite. that's the real. That's what it's been building to in the all the movies, you know. And and in the in the movies, it was sort of like you'd see less. You, you didn't see a lot of Voldemort. And finally, in this one, you know, he's doesn't when he comes out full force, he does not disappoint. He's a true, great, slimy, evil, very threatening villain, you know. And I like the parts where he was scared too. The yeah. parts where you could see the fear. Yeah, and he would make this noise. I noticed it the second time I watched it. Every time a Horcrux gets destroyed, he makes this like oh noise that's just <laughs> priceless. It's. It's and I I don't you know it sounds kind of wimpy coming from me but it just sounds you know it it had that total feel of like I wasn't expecting that and that hurt you know <laughs> see I, this is where I'm having so much trouble with this movie it was just everything was so right about me I actually have a lot of trouble talking about this movie because I've tried talking about this with like a lot of my friends and I, I think how I feel about the movie is. Is I agree that I, I have to disagree. <laughs> Listen to me. I don't even know where I'm going. <laughs> You're giddy with Harry Potterness. I don't. I don't think I'm giddy. I just. I don't know why I've had such hard times talking about this movie, and and just kind of comprehending it. Like I could. I, I even like right after it was done, I walked out of the theater with my friend. I just, I had so much trouble talking about it, because I, I had very few things I disliked about it, and even the things I disliked about it were so minute that it didn't really, like, Were they little continuity things, or maybe a character yeah, not shaded like, in enough, or something? It was flat out my favorite movie of the franchise. Like, flat out, it was my favorite. And, and like, it was just tiny little things. Like, they casted a Teddy Lupin. I was so excited about seeing him in the epilogue scene. And then you didn't see him. And I, and I was bummed, but I wasn't going to be, like, crying over it. And then, like, little things where Neville didn't... I don't, I don't believe Neville killed the snake where he did in the book. Like, it was just tiny little continuity things that, like... Yeah, just, that that was my one note of that. that what The one scene where Neville... The whole slow-mo scene of Neville started out kind of neat. But it was a little, it was a little too much of a big movie moment scene in in something in a movie that they weren't really trying to do that, mm-hmm. you know, or where the big movie moments were coming naturally. That one maybe didn't come as naturally. I agree with that. Well, the thing for me was, and and I, this is coming that I haven't read the book in like literally like five years, um, five six years. But um, if I remember correctly, remember the scene where Neville was standing up to Voldemort, and they're all in the courtyard. He kills the snake, if I'm correct, in that scene, because he kills him right in Voldemort, front of Voldemort. And I, I might be wrong on this, but I felt like it should have happened then, because it would have been him, like, defiantly standing up to Voldemort. Yeah. Because at the time, the other Horcruxes hadn't been destroyed, Nagini was destroyed before the other Horcruxes, the last Horcrux. Well, if, I think Nagini is just a really cool thing to have in the movie, so I think they might have wanted to just, like, keep, <laughs> keep him around as long as possible, you know? But I wanted to see the look on Ralph Fiennes' face when Neville would just, like, cut up his snake right in front of him. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> that was just a scene I was waiting for. But, yeah, like, that's why I have so much trouble talking about the movies, because the problems I have with the movies are so, like, tiny and obscure. And even the parts, like, I hated the epilogue in the book. I loved the epilogue in the movie. 
Now, do you th did they computer tweak them to make them look a lit just slightly older? Most of it was makeup, but okay. my god, the age Bonnie Wright, like the girl who plays Jenny Weasley. Yeah, they she, got. She's four years younger than me, if not more. She looked like she was ten years older than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, you know, the rest of them. Ah, okay, you know, they still looked. They, they, you know. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe was playing his real age. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and they, and yeah, they were sort of doing that. I mean, they should have been like what thirty-five years old or so <laughs> in 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 that scene, and. Uh, yeah, it. I, I I think it did definitely play better than in the book. I didn't mind the epilogue in the book. I I, I sort of saw the epilogue as her saying, "Okay, there's not going to be an adventure right after her, you know, right after Harry Potter, and if there's going to be more adventures, maybe it's going to be his kids or something." But yeah. you know, Harry Potter lived happily ever after the end. You know, that was. I think that was her, you know, making sure that that was the deal there, you know? Yeah, I totally completely agree. But to me, it just felt rushed and terrible. And it just wasn't written well to me. I felt like it was like she felt like she had to end it and not have it open for a sequel. So she, like, wrote it in 20 minutes and just threw it in there. Before you see, it I, I had the feeling that maybe that maybe it had been written in 20 minutes, but it was maybe like she had written it like... 500 times <laughs> trying to figure out what she and then was finally like you know there's no way to do this perfectly you know mm -hmm. and it wasn't really necessary you know once you, you tied up all the, the the wonderful you know good versus evil story you know the happily ever after part I don't really care about that I don't care that it had kids that's that's nice that they have little, you know, kids that look kids like them. Kids with terrible names where they're going to get punched <laughs> in the face when they go to school. Well, I, I, at, at the end of the movie, I was thinking, you know, there's an in, there could possibly be an interesting story of Harry Potter's son ending up in Slytherin. You know? I was praying he was going to be something dumb like a Hufflepuff. <laughs> Just something mundane. Not even Gryffindor or Slytherin. He's a flat-out Hufflepuff. <laughs> um... What about Snape in this movie? <gasps> Holy cow! Oh man, okay, yes, I can't talk about this though. Better, can better than in the book, I thought. Well, yeah, I mean, what's what's the actor's name? It's slipping my Alan mind. Alan Rickman. Yes. Alan Rickman was my favorite actor before the Harry Potter franchise, and then he played my favorite Harry Potter character. And by God, he should get uh, an award for this because he was absolutely fantastic in that memory scene. In the which scene? The the entire like pensive memory scene going oh, back. Oh yeah. And um, I actually something that uh, Sumner summarized it really quite well for me. I saw on the internet was somebody wrote um, J.K. Rowling in one chapter wrote a better love story than four books of Twilight. Oh yeah, well you know <laughs> I've yet to read the Twilight books. I should get on that for my media masochist show, but I'm sure. J.K. Rollins is a gifted writer. I don't care what, you know, she's going to get a lot of flack because she's popular, because she's a pop writer. But, I mean, when, you, uh, you know, when I was watching this movie, when they got to the scene where, you know, uh, McGonagall, McGonagall sort of, you know, chases off Snape and says, okay, we're, we're battening down the hatches, and they put the big shield up over the uh, over Hogwarts, Mm -hmm. I was watching it, and I'm like, this is just like episode one. 
That's a, they're yeah. putting up the same shield as episode one, but you know what? I care in this one. <laughs> Man, it's it was dramatic. You know, when Voldemort's shooting, you know, shooting bolts into the into the protective shield, it was really dramatic and kind of gothic and really cool. You know, and I was just like, wow, uh, yeah, th- yeah. Star Wars could have learned a thing or two from from this. Now, of course, we're we're talking a decade, you know, of special effects and CG. On a top decade. Of it. If they would have made episode one now, it still wouldn't have saved that. Movie. <laughs> it wouldn't yeah. have saved any of those movies. No, it was it's it, that it was all script issues. And, no matter and, how beautiful well, Ewan McGregor is as Obi Wan Kenobi, it can never save that movie. <laughs> well, the thing about those the, the 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 that trilogy is the acting was uneven in it. And the script. The, this movie is a, a, you know, a lot of a lot of actually. You know, every actor and actress in this movie is is great, and it's I I I, I chalk it up a lot to the the Star, Star Trek factor of, you know, they've spent they had to shoot these movies at the same rate that the kids were growing up, so they had to just they they've spent the last decade together. So all these actresses and actors are, you know, they've spent a decade in their roles and they really get to, you know, get to shine in this one, even though, you know, like McGonagall only gets a few moments in there, but they're golden moments, you know, the, the you know, with the, the scene where she tells Harry Potter, it's glad, you know, she's glad to see him, you know, it's just a wonderful. We cheered in that scene. There, there's a lot of che- there were a lot of cheer scenes in the mo- there were you know I mean when um, um, Bellatrix bites it that was that's when the movie theater I was in went nuts mm-hmm. they were just, yeah they, it, the place went nuts I um you just reminded me of the scene talking about the one where Snape fled but that was one thing I really did like about this movie because there was parts in the book where um it wasn't it was hard to describe um like what exactly what it was because it was just one of those things like with like baby tiny Voldemort when they were in like uh King's Cross in the purgatory scene Mm -hmm. like the way it's described in the book like so many people interpreted him under the bench differently that there's scenes like that in the movie where it just solidified like yes this is what I imagined and this got it exactly right yes that that scene was almost exactly like I imagined it in the book which is a testament to Rowling's writing too, um, and, but like before, I couldn't, I couldn't explain what Baby Voldemort looked like in my brain. But the moment I saw it, I just knew I was like, "That's it." Uh, and and there was a lot of just fantastic acting around the edges. I can't remember the character's name. The old guy he interrogates about the wands, about the um, the the master wand. Oh yeah. Now, he is a fantastic actor, well, that, uh, Ollivander. That is a that's such that scene reminds me of my life right now with in like I'm doing a lot of antique stuff and hanging around with antique people. And that guy really captured you know, this is a this is a guy who knows his wands, you know. He um the the way he picked up the wand and would say, "Okay, it's made of this and it was, you know, and it's got this inside and and testing it and measuring it was just, you know, it could have been just a, a cheesy little scene, mm-hmm. but 
it felt very real. I know people like that, you know, who pick up something and bite it and go, well, this is obviously oak and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're just a, a fountain of information about one thing, you know, and, and, um, the, 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 that scene and the scene right before it with the goblin, that goblin was great too. The, 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 the scene where, you know, he and Harry Potter are feeling each other out. Really, you know, really good acting. You know, he, yeah, he, th- that was Warwick Davis. Davis from like all the old like Labyrinth movies and, and like all those. And that stuff was like Warwick that. Davis. That's Warwick Davis. Oh, he's turned. He's turned and into he's a good actor. Flitwick. He was Flitwick later on in the movie. He played both characters. He didn't. He didn't even um, start out wanting to even be an actor. So, <laughs> good. You know, good for him. He he was just like in the right place at the right time and got to be an Ewok. And has. There's a lot of just uh, I I don't know if you've been watching Game of Thrones, but there's a lot of really awesome little people acting going on lately. I, I need to watch it so bad. I don't have HBO, so and I just haven't gotten around to watching it online. Uh it's great. <laughs> that's that's, that's what I'll I say. hear. I hear from everybody. It's absolutely fantastic. I just I haven't gotten around. I've been busy. <laughs> I don't, I don't go out. I don't go out for the sword and sorcery types. You know, medieval intrigue, magicy stories. Here I am doing the Harry Potter review, but you know that sort of thing. I don't usually go out for. Oh my god! You know, literally at the last episode of Game of Thrones, I leaped up out of uh, the last scene. I leaped up onto my chair and was like swinging my fist in the air, going, "Oh yes, yes, yes!" So yeah, I. Highly recommended. It's it's a great time now for people who like genre entertainment. It's uh, I I think the the just and 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 Harry Potter is going to be just an is just another you know, I mean, it's it's created and and this is another reason that the movie works so well is the books in the movie have created a world. And when I watched Deathly Hallows Part 1, I was like, geez, this is a long movie. And I was thinking that it was half the movie. The book was. Right, right. But um, um, it, was ve- it was very long. And this movie isn't as long as it, 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 and it. And it runs. It's the shortest movie in the franchise, I believe. And, and it runs, you know, it just keeps moving. But the thing is... You know, once once you're into these characters and you're into the world, yeah, whatever. The movie could be five hours long. It's it's just fully entertaining being in that world. It doesn't matter what's happening if it's just two characters talking. It's fascinating, you know. Oh yeah. Because you're you're it's built this world, and that's that's the magic of a good franchise. I mean, literally, the Star Wars franchise has survived Episode one, two, and three. You know. I mean, say you know, I like I like those movies, but at the same time, they 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 definitely were not, you know, unanimously warmly received. Yet the franchise survives, and even the people who are like I don't like the movies are still, you know, want to be in the Star Wars world, and that's what Harry Potter. That's what J.K. Rollins is kind of doomed to for the rest of her life. Is you know. That, that that world is going to hold an appeal to so many people for generations now. Yeah, she said if she published anything up, this it would probably be under a pen name. <laughs> that would be really interesting, but you know what? It wouldn't last long because she has a, a distinctive style. 
unless she really totally rethinks it and comes at it from a totally different, you know, maybe she'll be like Judy Bloom and st- and start writing like adult erotic fiction for for housewives or something, you know. Yeah. But um can can we talk about uh kisses? Oh, all the people all the all the people finally getting to smooch in this movie? Yes. Ron and Hermione's was freaking amazing. Jenny and Harry's, which was supposed to be like the big, huge kiss in the first, like it's the last time you see them kiss. I think in the books too, man. It was just so awkward. <laughs> it was yeah. like he was kissing his sister. Yeah, well, he kind of was in a way, you know. Uh, you know, the closest thing, you know. It was it was awkward because yeah, it was in the, you know. I mean, it, it should. I'm I'm glad that they were, and and it gets cut short, and you know. And uh, but I like that they had the little moment of where he communicated, "I gotta go," you know, and she was just like, "Go, go, go," you know. That you, you could see, you know, the beginning of a real relationship there. But you know, uh, I, I have problems with Jenny anyway. Well, in real life, in real life, they probably wouldn't end up married. <laughs> you know, when you're 16 years old, even if you're Harry Potter and you've been through all that stuff. You well, know, my it's... problem with Jenny is actually from the books. Not even oh. really... and, and the movies just made it worse. Because in the books, you, you see Jenny as she's when she's a little kid. You first meet her in book one. And then in book two, she just comes to Hogwarts, and she's in the Chamber of Secrets and all that stuff, and she's cool. Then you, you sort of see her in book three and four, and sort of in five. And then suddenly in book six, she's a teenager. You don't see that growing up, period. So when she came back and like really strong in book six... And she's, like, making out with Harry. I still saw her as a 12-year-old. I didn't see her really grow up. Well, because I, I admit that might have been on purpose because maybe that's how sort of, well, you know, the books are, are, are sort of from Harry Potter's point of view. So, you know, she was sort of an, an annoying little girl. But then, you know, well, we know what happens to annoying little girls once they reach a certain age. And then all of a sudden, you know, where, where did you come from, you know? So but maybe that's I what she was trying to do. I just saw 16-year-old Harry making out with 12-year-old Jenny, and it never settled right with me for like the rest of the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> it never settled well. well. So like, I I have a few problems with Jenny. Ron, Ron's and Hermione's was great. It was in a great uh, the the way they laid out the setting there was great. With the with you know, there's water, uh, but it's in this really dark, gloomy. Place and I like that they laugh afterwards. I like that they're that you know that the the tension is cut and they actually actually laugh and you know I mean it's just it's like I said before you know these actors and actresses have had ten years they've grown up together you know so they're inside those characters and there was never a moment in the movie where you know I didn't feel like every character was spot on. Um. I love Dumbledore's brother. Huh, yes. Was he played by Richard Harris? I don't, I don't think, think he was. so. I don't think so. He Because th- I, I, I was wondering about that, because he looks sorta like him, but not really, which I thought was great casting if it wasn't Richard Harris. He looks Harris. like he looks like Dumbledore's brother. He looks like the yeah. guy you he looks like you would really and and that character I he didn't sounded like him. Yeah, yeah. But that could be they could be messing around with the um the actor's voice for that, you know. Yeah, but, so I like that. If it's good enough to be like, I, I thought for like half a second it was Richard Harris. 
I'll, I'll have to check on that. And I thought it was too, but I was like, nah, it's some other guy. He's got a little heftier build to him. And But um, I thought his character translated better in the movie than it did in in the book. A sad thing that the internet brought up to me that um, I saw on Tumblr, because I have a Tumblr now, um, was... Uh, I, I, I never noticed it until they actually put a clip of it on this person's Tumblr. And um, it was right after, you know, Fred had died and everything. And when Harry comes, like, you know, busts out of Hagrid's arm and goes running, and this is after they all think Harry is dead and stuff like that, there's a moment where George goes to turn around and say, Fred, and you see him say it, and then it doesn't show anything after that. But that moment, I, I want to go back and rewatch that moment. I w- you know what's funny is I saw that, that same Tumblr post you're talking about, and I was looking for it, and uh, I didn't see it, so I'm going to have to go back and look for it myself. It's, it's literally like a half a second of mm-hmm. that, but he turns and says Fred, and then it goes to Harry running away and Voldemort trying to shoot him. Yeah, that's a that's a nice little character moment, and, that, and, and I have a feeling by this time in the movie that you could let the actors... A lot of times the actors were coming up with a lot of the stuff, you know what I mean? And, and, and that part, about the character deaths, actually, um, I cried where I knew I was going to cry. I knew I was going to cry with Snape's death, because he's my favorite character. I, I knew I was going to fall down. And after, like, they put all the characters' deaths that actually mattered in, like, one spot. And um, after that, the rest of the movie it was, it was so hopeful and, like, such a pick-me-up that... Um, it didn't last long, and I think that's why I didn't cry as much as I thought I would, because um, the rest of the movie was just such a satisfying joy to me. But um, the character deaths, I think the reason I didn't dwell on them as much is, unlike the books where you like where you see Fred die, and they have a moment where it, it describes how he's still smiling after his last joke. Like, it doesn't dwell on that as much. And same thing with Ramus and Tonks. Like, even though I hate Tonks, like, I was going to ball over Ramus because... He was so big in the in the books in that whole section, especially when he's with Harry and Draco and Hermione at um, Sirius Black's old house. Like you really um, get to see Ramus uh, so much in the book, but you don't see him as much in the movies uh, seven point one and seven point two. That I didn't really feel his death as much, but I also really just don't like David Thewlis as Ramus. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of doughy, sort of looking. <laughs> they they totally kill his character, man. And there's so many, like, period jokes about him being a werewolf. It just... Ugh. But I thought Snape's death was surprisingly visceral, even though, you know, you don't really... You you only hear it, but, man, the way they... The way they shot it from behind the screen. Him just slamming against the where glass. The, the, well, the, the, the snake is just biting him and is biting him so hard that it's slamming him against... And you hear the sounds of him just being in shock and pain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then in the next 20 minutes, you get to finally see all the story of Snape, you know, with his with his guard down. You get to finally see everything, fa- you know. Once which he, you one- sure saw in movie five, which was a total just... Right. Oh. Right. But, you know, I mean... I. S- the 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 whole the whole scene inside the pensive was just one of the greatest points in the whole whole series. I thought that well, that's why Alan Rickman should. I I really he was so good in that entire 
scene and sequence, I really do think that he should get an award for that because that is some of the best acting I've seen this year. Well, and it's funny because there's only one part in the whole movie where he overdoes it, but he overdoes it because his character is overdoing it, and that's where he gets all the students together and just drips venom from every word he says. He almost does uh, a caricature of how Alan Rickman talks, you know, deep and rich, but he's pronouncing every word, and you can hear the slime coming off it. I think a lot of it is also, and, th- and this is only my personal interpretation of Snape's character, I think that he hates himself having to do that because yes. he's a really good guy, and he knows he's just setting up his potential fall. He, he, was, he was overdoing it. He was overdoing it with in front of the kids, and he, you know, he had to overdo it because he's playing a bit, he was, basically at that point he was playing a, well, I'm sure there were other people from like the, you know, Voldemort side and hanging around there there were the you know that were running the school and for the Slytherin kids benefit you know he had to he had to play the you know the 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 heavy till the very end for for every you know every everybody got to know or nobody got to know you know the the depths of Snape's um you know heroism mm-hmm. except for Dumbledore and Harry Mm-hmm. And Dumbledore, you know, Dumbledore, you know, died at, at, to, but knew what was going to happen, and uh, and I off and I and I was wondering if after everything all washed out, if you know, in the in the newspaper they they you know cleared Snape's name or whether it was something that was meant to be, because obviously this world is a world of secrets, you know. It seems like every generation gets their 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 crazy story and then they sort of sit on it. So, you know, until you know in the future when it comes out and something. So it makes me wonder if you know. I mean, um, he na- you know Harry names his kid after him. So I mean, people might figure it out from there. And I also wonder if like by the time Harry Potter's thirty five years old, whether everybody's gotten over the whole Harry Potter thing and sort of forgotten about the chosen one. You know Harry Potterness of him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whether he's just like living in. And I was like, "What's Harry Potter gonna do for a job?" And then I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right. He's rich. He doesn't have to have a job." <laughs> he he becomes. Uh, she she released that information like after um in, in interviews. Like he becomes like the head or like the head of yeah. the orders and stuff like that. And pretty much is like the he he's like the uh, commissioner Gordon of the Harry Potter world. That makes sense, and that was sort of consistent with what he wanted to do. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess you would you would take. I a think job. he gets appointed like right after school because I don't think he ever actually graduates. Like they pretty much appoint him like then and there to be Commissioner Gordon. His <laughs> seventeen-year-old Commissioner Gordon—that's kind of. Uh, or is he? How old is he in this movie? He's probably like sixteen to eighteen, right? Somewhere. He, in he's there? seventeen because 17, uh, that's uh, right. Come of age, he becomes of age at the beginning of the movie, and that's why they have to move him because. At age of seventeen, when he becomes of age, he's not protected by the Dursleys' house anymore. But um, uh, uh, we were talking about bad guys. Bad guys. Um, that was one thing I never actually really liked about the entire books and 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 the movies. And and this goes just I think a lot of because it's a kids' book too. Um, is if you were Slytherin, you were automatically bad. 
And that's why I liked the little chips that kind of came away, like the Malfoy family. And I kind of wanted to see this in the the movie, and they didn't do it as much. was in the books in the final battle, Lucius and Narcissa Malfoy just didn't care about the battle. All they wanted to do was find their son. And it it described them, like, running through the Great Halls, like, screaming Draco's name, trying to find him. And while in this one, like, as much as I I felt like it was a little bit of a cop, they all just walked away. Yes. But I really wanted to see that point where it showed that not all the bad guys were really bad. Like, they generally cared about their son. They didn't care about the battle. They didn't... And then you had that great scene after the battle where they're all sitting in the Great Hall, the three of them, just kind of awkwardly not really knowing what to do because they were unsure about their own futures, but at least they were sitting together as a family. And it kind of showed that not all the Slytherins were always bad. Yeah. And it also showed that war's not like, you know, it's not just the good guys always win because so many of the good guys won, and then some of the bad guys lived. And it, and it showed that war's not always fair like that, and I, I felt that was something the movie kind of left out that I really wanted to see. Because that, that was a strong moment, was at the end that the, all three Malfoys survived, and they were sitting in the Great Hall with everybody else, just kind of wondering what to do next, just like everybody else. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, 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 the Malfoys are shown as being, you know, the, the, the kind of the weakest links in, in Voldemort's. They're, they're, they're the ones who have, seem to have the most, well, especially Lucius. You know, in in the movie, it really, you know, it re- yeah, it, it downplays all that, and it and it kind of plays it up of uh, of you know the mother just being sort of like, um, you know, d- sort. Uh, you're thinking maybe she and and uh, Lucius may not even be together after this movie. You know, she yeah. she's kind of like, I got my son. You go fuck off now. You know. There's yeah, and they loved each other. The three of them love each other so much. Well, that's how I, I took it in the book. So, like the three, like because the two of them wanted their son so bad, and the two of them were working together to make sure that Draco was going to be okay. And the movie, it played that Narcissa was going out of her way to do everything, and and um, Lucius was just you know doing his own sort of thingy. The one of the best lines is when Voldemort looked right at Lucius and when he was like, how do you live with yourself? Yes, and he goes, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah that was, a, that was a, a great scene. What's funny is, is, um, you know, by that point in the movie, it, it's great. Voldemort's been built up. But you start seeing how weak he is to the point of, like, he can't see that... that um, and and when he's questioning Snape about the the wand, you know Snape is quite obviously shaken and and deceiving him, and he doesn't seem to really notice. You know, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a clue that Sna- Snape's been working for the other side, and um, and he's and, and really Lucius is actually way more loyal to him than Snape, and he and he treats Lucius. Really, really, I mean, if he treated Lucius better, he may not have had as much, uh, as much, tr- you know, trouble with Draco, you know, mm-hmm. o- over the course of the thing. And uh, the scene where Snape dies, you know, he doesn't even know Harry Potter's on the other, you know, five feet away from him <laughs> at that point. You know, yeah. he's only a few feet away from him. You'd think he would be able to, uh, to sense him at that point. And, uh. And it's great you're starting to see that, oh, yeah, this guy, you know, they, they've they got, 
it's funny how she builds up the amount of powers that people have, but at the same time, she's always, always extremely limiting them. You know, where to where they aren't quite, you know, the godlike powers that you would think that um, Voldemort would have. You know, to be able to like, you know, go, hey, you know, you're lying to me. <laughs> Harry Potter's behind that screen. Um. And, and and all that, you know, you start seeing that he's just, he's actually very limited, you know, and uh, a, a lot of his power comes from just fear of him. That's that's what I love when, um, you know, that you know they're, they're they're securing the castle and nobody will say his name. McGonagall says, like, "Say his name. He's coming here to kill us anyway." <laughs> you know, <laughs> might as well say she his was name anyway. So great in this movie, McGonagall was fantastic. Well, I loved it because she's been she's been kind of a heavy, you know, all through it, and and this was her one. Cha- this was th- it, it reminds me of you know when you say you meet one of your uh, high school teachers ten years after you graduate, and all of a sudden you know you're you're dealing with them on a different level, you know. She oh, yeah. in this movie, you got to see her as a, a person and a witch, you know, with fears and and stuff instead of just sort of. The, the the stern, you know, um, woman, ass. yeah, hard ass that she that she was, and you even get to see her, you know, have a little guilty pleasure when she brings the the stone protectors to life, and she's like, I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, she was so good in this movie, I, and she looked she looked much happy, uh, healthier because I know in movie six. Um, uh, she was getting chemo done, so I'm glad that she, Dame Maggie Smith, was doing it so much better, and she looked healthier. Because my God, in movie six, she looked like she was about to fall over with the next breeze. Well, yeah, chemo is not kind to people at all. Chemo is basically, no, yeah, just like bringing yourself to the edge of death anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, on a lighter note, <laughs> not a lot of humor in this movie, actually. A few. Um, it, that- a lot of the humor was towards the end when, during the battle with like Neville and Seamus and stuff. Yeah, but um, so awesome. Because <laughs> even even like when he was awesome, he still had that like awkward Nevilleness, which was so nice. Yes, yes. Well, and and I and and I love that. I I love. I don't know. You know how much how much of. These the early characters from the first couple books that she meant to you know where she meant to take him, but I love the whole story of Neville being the you know complete bottom you know you know the low man on the totem pole for years and years and years and finally you know you see and you see inklings of it all through the movie but you're like you know eventually this guy's gonna you know it's all gonna come together for him and it actually works out. Because he he could have easily been Harry Potter too. Right, right. Because it, it, there was two prophecies, and Voldemort chose it was either Neville or Harry, and whoever Voldemort chose was going to be the chosen one, and he chose Harry because they both had like birthdays that were right beside each other, and the prophecy was for both of them. Yeah, I like that. Well, the, that you know Neville. I wish they touched on the movies, but of course, there's no time for poor Neville. N- no, you know, I mean. The thing about it is, they had a they have a hard enough time in these movies trying to make 
you know, trying to get all the scenes of exposition in there smoothly without them being just a scene of exposition. And they do a really good job of it. I mean, the, the pensive is like a great just idea for a way to get exposition um, and story, you know, backstory told and without having somebody just sit down and tell somebody something, you know. I mean, everything that Harry, lear- you know, everything that Harry was learning for the pensive, you know, they could have done it with, you know, where Dumbledore just calls him in the office and goes, Harry, I got a story to tell you, you know. Yeah. And then go into, launch into the story. But, you know, they come up with, with good... I mean, it, 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 a lot of the stuff could have been trite. The whole, the whole um, you know, Harry Potter, can't, you can walk into the light if you want to, you, you know, in between life and death. Is it in my head? Oh, well, y- yes it is, but that doesn't mean it's not real. All that stuff mm. is pretty trite, but it were it... It is presented. Totally yeah, it's t- it's got a little tokenness. It's got a little of the you know the new age walk into the light, uh, life after deathness to it, and and uh, you know you're in an in between place, and you could you could move on if you want to, you know, and uh, but it doesn't come off as being tried. It comes off as being really cool. <laughs> that's that's the thing is I sat through this whole movie going, man, that's real. The the escape scene in the drag with the dragon, that yes. could have been very action movie. It was sort of action movie like, but man, you like that dragon, you know what I mean? You want to see that dragon get? I mean, that dragon doesn't even. It, it's basically just trying to kill everybody in it, but it's brilliant, you know. When the when the goblin pulls out the little bell and starts ringing and says, "Well, when it hears the bell, it expects pain," and you know Hermione's like, "That's awful," and just with that that one little shade there all of a sudden you start you know i'm an animal guy anyway so but you start feeling for the dragon you know and when when the dragon gets free you're just like yes you know when the dragon's flying it's an honest you know it's an honest um all the cheer scenes in this movie were come upon honestly you know they weren't a lot of times in movies that you know you'll see they 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 want to have a cheer scene here, so they have things happen, and then they have someone on the screen go, yeah, you know, right after the cool thing happens. And this movie's confident enough that they don't have to have the only time that they really have somebody's step sit in for the audience in reaction is uh, when uh, McGonagall tells them to um, lock up all the Slytherins in the dungeon, and all the other students cheer. You know that, but that's realistic. That's what students would do. They'd be like, "Yeah, fuck you, Slytherin." You know, into the dungeon with you. <laughs> finally, you know, we've been waiting for that. Yeah. So, so I I really like that because I hate when a movie tells me what I'm supposed to be feeling at the point. I want to be feeling it and have the movie back it up. That's a good movie, and that's what this movie this this movie was getting me you know choked up when i was just from just from the you know a scene and just um one of the things that brought a lump to my throat that's weird it's not a sad scene at all is the the very first scene in the movie with snape standing in the window looking out over hogwarts with you know dementors surrounding it and you know it starts out with the dementors and it just sort of moves in and snape sitting there and i was just like it was just very powerful, 
you know, and, and I, especially because I, I know so what's going through his so head. Much too. Hmm? I think he loves Hogwarts just as much as everyone exactly. does, too. Exactly. That was also all his happy memories, too, because he had such a terrible family life. Hogwarts was his escape as well, and is where he went to be with Lily. Well, you see him standing there. There's not a line of dialogue, and as a matter of fact, he's most of the shot, his back is to you. But you know he's standing there, and he's going, I'm the headmaster of Hogwarts now. You know, this should be the happiest day of my life. And, you know, I'm here under the most horrible circumstances. And I can't even be standing up for the people that I'm defending. You know, he's he's deep undercover. And, uh, you know, and, that, and that's sort of a cliched thing in a movie with an undercover person or something. But, yeah, but by this time, you know, all the characters are so... Are so shaded in and so I mean it I I really like that she um starts out and it's funny I just saw this video on I I think it was through Tumblr but it was on YouTube and it was a British you probably have seen it too because you are way more into Harry Potter than me it was this British literature professor and he looked like you know he looked like a sort of Ian McClellan type of old you know your classic little old British clip speech, polite, super intelligent English professor, and he's he's explaining the, the success of the Harry Potter movies and saying it's a very, um, you know, you can, you can write a good book, but if you want to write a really popular book that's really good too, you have to sort of use, you know, it, you don't have to, but it seems like the, the model is use this Dickensian model of you have a character who's very very good and pure and then you surround him with very interesting characters who are neither and then you also surround him with characters that are pure you know evil and and you know the lead characters kind of bland you know compared to everybody else but everybody else around him is utterly fascinating, you know, and 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 uh, the the Harry Potter movies followed that, but as they went on, she just shaded it in more. All the all the characters that were, you know, horribly awful—not all of them, but a good portion of them—all you know, either became um, characters you could sympathize with, or they didn't seem all that bad. And she and then she started taking Dumbledore, who was the father figure, you know, Harry's role model, and started, you know, saying saying, Hey, you know, there's more to the you know, this guy wasn't all, you know, the wonderful white wizard sort of guy. you know, he's got some skeletons in his closet. And you know, a lot of it is played up as like, ah, the forces against him, you know, Rita Skeeter's playing up as the scandals and stuff. But no, Dumbledore, you know, you know, it, 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 by, by the time when in the movie, you know, in the, but when you're finding out that he knew that Harry would have to die in order to, to kill Voldemort and, uh, you know, the scene with Snape was disgusted mm-hmm. with them. Snape's like, so you're basically concerned with, you know, and and as you watch it, you realize Dumbledore's playing a larger game because 
he pre- you know he's setting it all up so Harry's going to die not die you know but he is going to you know so he's doing he's the setting Obi- up that concept of the greater good and yeah and you see at that point all of a sudden Snape is disgusted with this guy and and that's when you know Dumbledore goes oh don't tell me you've started to care for you know this kid and you know at first thought you're like holy shit that's cold-blooded coming from Dumbledore but he was just taunting Snape he was draw you know he was you know he was um testing to see you know if Snape still was still had his soft underbelly I guess and that that scene in the, in the movie that scene's very intense I I'm ready to watch it again. <laughs> I just watched it a couple hours ago. Me too. I, I really am as well. At least I, s- select I, I can't wait till I can go see it again. Yeah, it'll probably be a while before I see it. In a, although I, I probably... I, I was thinking long and hard today of going to a matinee because it was about 100 degrees here. And I know that's not nothing to you people down there but up here oh it's it's a few days in the 90s (laughs) a few days in the 90s up here and people start melting like popsicles see i'm a winner girl i hate this heat i i have i i don't complain too much because it is better than the sub-zero winners you know the the long just drawn out you know inside winters that you can get up here so i never really complain about the heat but it gets you you know i was uh (laughs) i probably would have gone to a movie if i didn't have to ride my bike three miles to get there you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) it would have been really nice to walk into the to the uh air conditioning but then again i would have been walking out in the it it would maybe it would have been better if it was like deathly hallows part one because then i knew i would have been in the air conditioning for you know close to three hours and speaking so of Chris, mo- yes okay oh, go, go ahead speaking of i'm changing the subject again so I, i'm taking another little detour but i just saw that uh like a making of peter jackson working on the hobbit and i did i, I don't keep up on this stuff but i was getting the impression of it that it's going to be two movies too and oh, I I wouldn't be surprised. That would probably be the best way to do it. I think that book is big. My uh, it's not like Lord of the Rings big, but I mean it's it's still a pretty detailed, impressive book. I I, I love The Hobbit way more than I love Lord of the Rings personally, because that was you know that's what introduced me to Lord of the Rings. Is I read The Hobbit. I, I was getting ready to read Lord of the this guy this guy who was a, a like rented half of our house. He and his girlfriend. And he was probably in his late 20s. He, he, as a little kid, he gave me all these sci-fi and fantasy books and of them being the Lord of the Rings. And I was getting ready to to uh, dig into Fellowship of the Rings. And he was like, no, 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 no. Read The Hobbit first. And I'm really glad I did because The Hobbit... The, and The Hobbit story is so much... It's I'm actually glad because it's more of a Peter Jackson... It's got more lightheartedness to it, you know? It's a lighthearted adventure. It doesn't have the whole, you know, existential doom of, you know, it's setting up for all that. But it's 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 it's, 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 it's an adventure it's an adventure of a hobbit, you know, it's it's there and back again. 
So, and my first thought was, oh god, can't Peter Jackson make an hour and a half movie and just, and then I was thinking, ah, but you know what, I want to see two movies of The Hobbit because I don't want to see anything left out, really. That's how I felt about this movie, like, when I found out that Deathly Hollows was split into two parts, like, I heard a lot of people are like, oh, they're milking the franchise, I'm like, no, there's no way on earth you could fit that entire book in one movie. You would have to make a four-hour movie and still, you know, really cut out a lot of really good stuff, and yeah, this, I mean, these two movies don't suffer from from being bloated with too, you know, too much, that every, you know... I mean, they and had to. They still had to cut spot. stuff out. Like where the split is, it's a really good spot in the book too. Because mm-hmm. that's pretty much like um, the the movie two opens with what sets Harry's course. Which like the opening of where it was in movie two, it's my favorite part in the entire series of all the books. Because it's it's the Horcrux or Hallow scene where Harry chooses his destiny, where he can either be himself or be Voldemort, and it's. It was it was a good scene because that's also what just sets the rest of the book is that one scene because you just had all the boringness before, and then you have where Harry Potter defines himself as this is me, this is what I'm doing, let's do this, and that's how it is in the books too. Yep, yep they 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 really did a a strong job. These these movies are going to seriously stand the test of time, and I'm really curious to see 20 years down the line how they're stacking up against some of the other franchises, to be honest with you, even the Star Wars I, I, franchises. It, it, it's our generation Star Wars and Star Trek. Like, I, I like Star Wars. Um, I never really got into Star Trek, but, like, it's not... Neither will ever be Harry Potter to me because that's my... I mean, this is, like, a huge chunk of my life. Well, Harry Potter, to me, I mean... Star Wars and Star Trek... Well, I shouldn't say that about Star Trek, because Star Trek, in the early days, it was women who kept Star Trek alive. It was, you know, I mean, almost almost to a pinpoint, I don't know, I can't remember her name, but there was one woman who was, like, the biggest Star Trek fan who started the whole movement to keep it from get, you know, to come back for a third season and succeeded in it. But Star Wars was a, I mean... When I was when when I was a kid and I saw Star Wars, the other people who were all into Star Wars were other little boys, you know. It was just it was it it had little boy written all over it. And Harry Potter does not. Harry Potter's got little boy it's got a main character who's a little boy, but it's got plenty of stuff for the girls in it, you know. It was written by a woman. And so it has just far more appeal and there's I mean it's really funny. There's a lot of people I know that are just too hip to even try, you know, to even try it because they're just like, it just, you know, quote unquote on paper, it sounds kind of lame to your average, you know, adult nerd guy sort of thing. It's like, I don't want to get into this whole wizard bit of, you know, and little kids at a school and, you know, the... The whole, you know, I mean, it's it started out as a whole very juvenilia sort of, you know, thing. But you know, any I I anybody I know that's read the books, they're just you're sucked in, you're you're done, you know. I mean, I I remember um, friends who were literature majors who were just like, I ain't touching that popular crap, you know. And then all of a sudden, they're like, the new book is coming out in six weeks, you know. 
and because uh, I always used I always used to make the Dickens argument with them. I'm like, you guys read Charles Dickens, and are like the classics. Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens was the Stephen King of his time. He was massively popular and wrote popular fiction, and people were like, you know, they would write good reviews of Dickens, but they didn't hold him as literature. Only time has done that. Can I ask you something? Yes. Because uh, because you saw Star Wars when you were so young, did it kind of help define and shape you like to be who you are now? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That I would and, and not be where I... I think that's how, I... Wars, I think that's how uh, Harry Potter is to me. Because, like, I, I read it in, like, such a pivotal time. I started reading it in high school, and I read it all throughout college, so it helped define me who I am now. Well, and I think that's why it's it's the it's the Star Wars of my generation. It, I mean, literally, Star Wars not only defined me in a personal manner, but physically, where I, where I live right now, and everything that I'm doing right now can pretty much stem from Star Wars and Star Trek, but Star Wars was where it all exploded. Star Wars was the first thing that I saw and I said, wow, movies, stories, you know, telling a story through a movie is very powerful. I want to do that. I'm interested in how that is done, you know? And that and, and that's why I think Harry Potter will last, like, 20 years, if not more, in the future, because it was such a defining point in our, my generation that when I grow up, that I'm going to want to share it with my kids. Oh, for sure. I mean, I mean, you, you, you've... And that's right why, off like, the bat. Clone Wars is so popular, because you have all the ad- adults, like, like Scott, he can now show Clone Wars to his kids, and it, it's something that his kids will now grow up with, and they can go on to their kids. Yeah, yeah, and... And I mean, like the Harry Potter books are a wonderful thing, because you could start it. You could start the Harry Potter books before a kid can read. Oh, and you my, could and read the first two books out Tales loud. My, my sister is telling, uh, reading Tales of Beetle the Bard to my niece and my nephew, who is five and seven. Right, right. And they're growing up, learning and loving Harry Potter. Right, and and if they hear Tales of Beetle the Bard first. Then they start getting Harry Potter read to them or reading Harry Potter. Then all of a sudden it's like, hey, Beatles. Uh, all of a sudden it'll be like in, actually, I think it was part one of Deathly Hallows where they were like, you know, they were like, you don't remember that that story? That, you know, it's from our childhood, you know? And now they're little kids, yeah, who are literally going to have those stories as the stories of their childhood. And yeah, the first two books are made to be read out loud to kids you know they're very melodramatic and you know and you know bad bully kids and evil professor snape and you know it's very dramatic and and by the time your kids can read you know they can just and but at the rate that they read the books you know the books are almost propelling them i think we talked about this on the last where we had andrew slack on um you know how they sort of propel you through more and more sophisticated, you know, tropes of reading and characterization and foreshadowing and you know, overlapping stories. And as it goes on, 
you know, at first you're thinking, okay, she's using the same template over and over again. It's another year at Hogwarts and another adventure. But it starts building, and then she starts, you know, hey, you know, there hasn't been, <laughs> there was no Quidditch match in, um, in Deathly Hallows, you know. <laughs> all, you know, all, all of a sudden she started breaking it down and, 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 and taking something very fantastical and weaving elements weaving the real world into it too where you know muggles were getting in the movie you get more of a um, feeling that maybe there's been whole cities (laughs) wiped out and stuff you know there's a couple scenes where I was like they're walking through destruction like the edges of urban destruction you know maybe there's been in the movie it seemed like there might have been a little more muggle um, you know deaths and, and violence to it but Oh, in the books, they're always talking about like Buggles being attacked left and right because of the because there's no one to stop the Death Eaters. Right, but I mean, there 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 seemed to be almost like the the one scene when they were they were by a, like a crashed overpass, you know, a, a destroyed over like overpass or some sort of bridge or something that had literally been destroyed, you know, like a Godzilla movie or something, and I was wondering if, but um. You know, but then they start bringing you know ideas of <laughs> Nazi Germany and and totalitarian regimes and stuff like that into it. And uh, there, there was one scene that was very really funny, and that when Snape calls all the students out, and there was a there was a couple scenes of all the students marching in lockstep that totally reminded me of Pink Floyd the Wall. If you've ever seen Pink Floyd the Wall, when they actually do the um, another brick in the wall song, and all the students are marching along. Except they're all marching along into a meat grinder with hamburger coming out the other end. But it's the same sort of same sort of idea. And I'm like, oh, geez, Hogwarts is actually Hogwarts has been transformed into probably a more realistic vision of a British boarding school. You know, which is funny because the whole scene with Snape trying to get everybody to. Uh, to uh, turn in Harry Potter and explaining what's going to happen, you know, is totally what, you know, I had friends who would, went to private school and, you know, when trouble went down, that's what they do. They get all the students in there and be like, all right, you're all going to pay unless, uh, unless we start hearing about, you know, what everybody knows. And, and, uh, it, it was really funny that, uh, yeah, that's probably closer to the truth than than earlier versions of of Hogwarts. Yeah, I was I thoroughly thoroughly impressed. It's one of the first movies in a while. Actually, I, there's another one recently called The Tr- Troll Hunters that I've watched a couple times. But lately, like in the last five or six years, I watch things once and then I don't come and then I'm not really too you know into watching them again unless it's maybe years and years later I mean a lot of the reasons I'm watching stuff again is because I'll be doing it for the show you know but uh this movie I might be uh I might be revisiting this movie a bit because it's very pleasurable to to watch it's very satisfying it just felt right I guess yes it is it's it's very rare that you go to a movie and a movie, especially a movie that's winding up a franchise, 
you know, decidedly it's the end of the franchise, the end of the books, we all know it's over, the actors are too old, it's done. You know, you, like Star Trek, you never really knew if it was done, you know? It's not like Doctor Who, where once yeah, the actor so, wants to move on, they just put in a new actor. They put in a new actor, whatever. This one's done, and uh, and it it finished itself off admirably, and uh, it's it's very rare that that's you know that's the case. So it's it it's it deserves the money that it's that it's uh, raking in. Good job, Harry Potter franchise. Good job. Yeah. Can I promote myself? Yes, you better promote yourself before um, we leave. Damn it, Chris! This is what I was gonna talk about in my new episode. I don't. Now I have to oh. Talk about. <laughs> um, so so well, promote what's left of your new episode. <laughs> um. So uh, I I have another show, Two True Freaks. It's called Hope of All Trades. Um, I talk about pretty much whatever I want to talk about, which is kind of fun. Um, I, I cover, I tend to cover more what the guys don't cover. It's more of the other stuff. Like, I, I tend to cover more anime and, and stuff like that because I'm really the resident anime lover of the group. Um, and I, I also recently started a Tumblr. Um, it's called the Geeky Girl Experience dot Tumblr, whatever, whatever Tumblrs are set up with. Um, but yeah, it's called the Geeky Girl Experience, and on there, I've been doing some anime reviews. I've also been, um, keeping it up as a writing blog. I'm in the process of writing my first novel, and I I write constantly about, like, the troubles of writing, and, you know, just, just things about writing in general, so. And it's, I also talk about, you know, um, I haven't done it yet, but it's also gonna be a blog about being, like, it's gonna be a sexuality blog as well. Um, I'm quite proud to say I'm bisexual and yeah well now twice as many people have just decided to sign up for your blog than before I read the greatest book by Brian Catcher is it the geeky girl experience or just geeky girl experience I think it's just it's either we'll try both okay (laughs) it's 320 in the morning I don't remember off the top of my head that stupid the but um, I read a, a great book called Almost Perfect by Brian Catcher, and it's about um, this guy who falls in love with this girl, and then it turns out the girl is actually a transsexual boy. Anyway, so I started talking with the uh, author, named, and his name is Brian Catcher. I think I've said that 12 times because I'm tired. Um, <laughs> and he, he said, um, after I explained my blog to him about being a nerd, bisexual, writing blog that... He asked how I didn't have 20 requests for dating a day. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's the nature of the internet. <laughs> yeah, but um, that's my blog. Uh, I'm going to be keeping you updates, and I'm trying to build, because I'm probably going to be uh, self-publishing, I'm trying to build a nice fan base through Tumblr mm-hmm. and stuff. And I also have a YouTube, which it's um, Chaos Lydia. Uh, it's also called the Geeky Girl Experience. You can usually find me if you just type in Hobal and X on YouTube. You'll find me eventually. Um, <laughs> I'm a subscriber to your YouTube um, channel, and uh, I haven't put up anything recently. I've just been so busy. I, 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 I just have to tell people you should subscribe because she doesn't put up stuff an awful lot, and sometimes there'll be stuff that you put up. I don't get it because you're you're addressing somebody that I don't know on a subject that I know nothing about. But then there's other times where you'll do something like shave your dog horribly and then videotape <laughs> the poor humiliated animal walking away as everybody laughs. 
that is you know <laughs> that amuses everybody yeah, that's, that's good that's terrible that's gold for everybody you know you can't go wrong with with that and uh i i remember you put up a very entertaining video of some sack races at dragon con with involving doctor who and little kids that was very i don't want to spoil that i will spoil harry potter but i don't want to spoil that video but it's it's got a dramatic ending to it too and me and my uh old roommate uh dubbed over a silent movie yes i've seen that one too so it's it's a very random uh, YouTube channel, and I haven't put up stuff recently because I I have a great new job, but it's keeping me busy. So I'm hoping to start putting up some stuff soon. Um, I, I've been to a, a few cons recently, and I have some videos from cons. And I just I haven't gotten around to putting up stuff because when I'm not working, I'm exhausted and usually just trying to catch up on writing for my novel. Yeah. Yeah, work is is really hard on the creative process because even when you have time, a lot of time when you're working, work will take a lot of that energy out of you. You know. Yeah, so. I between um, I, I I joke, but sort of saying I really have two jobs opposed to one because uh, my novel when I'm not you know I, I'm a nanny during the day, and so when I'm not being a nanny, I'm working on my novel or I'm working on my Tumblr to uh, help promote my novel and build a fan base so um, there's just a time where, and that's why I haven't put up a, a new Hope of All Trades video because all I've been doing is being a nanny and that's just boring to talk about even though the kids are absolutely great yeah, maybe uh, maybe we can get you and um, and um, uh, Josh Bertoni and uh, get, get, maybe you guys can do a nanny podcast because I think that's what <laughs> he does too so, That's cool. So maybe you guys could do the like nanny cast or something like that. And that could be fun because I, I have trouble. All three kids have learning disabilities in one shape, way, or form or yeah. another. And I think that's what happens with him too. So it's it's very interesting. Like one kid has Tourette's, the other one's like behavioral mm-hmm. OCD. So wow. if things don't go his way, he uh, just flips out. And then the third kid has um, really strong anxiety. So, yeah, no shit with that going on around him, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, and, and when she gets so excited, she just starts spewing out gibberish, so you can't even understand her when she gets excited. So between the three of them, it, they keep me busy, but uh, to, to relate back to Harry Potter, the middle kid is fantastic, and we were watching movie four together, and the first scene that Cedric Diggory jumps out of the tree, he looks right at me and goes, Hope. Don't get attached to him. That's Cedric Diggory, and at the end of the movie, he's going to be Dedrick. (laughs) (laughs) This kid's 11, and I laughed so hard. They're absolutely fantastic and joyous. He's going to be Dedrick Diggory in a grave. (laughs) And then he becomes a vampire. Then he rises from it as a vampire. A sparkly vampire. But, um, yes, uh, I I do agree. Work is hard on the creative process, and that should be a blog right there, how work is hard. You might see that soon on my Tumblr. So you Excellent. Should. I am going to go and I, I have a Tumblr account myself. We should, uh, when we finish recording, let's trade links. With my Tumblr this past week, because I've, I've been, I, I have about, had about 30 flags to knit within a week for a Hitalia party I'm going to on Saturday. The last few posts have been nothing but me knitting. So I promise you that I'll stop after tomorrow <laughs> when I'm finally done. 
but uh, and I'll go back to writing and talking about nerdy stuff and like some of the things I've talked about recently like I, in my last episode of Football Trades I talked about a great anime called Tiger and Bunny I'm gonna start doing episode reviews about it so if, if you have seen Tiger and Bunny since listening to my show you can look forward to that because uh, I you might like it Chris it's like they took it's a great anime if you're going from comic books to anime yes and 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 I and I actually I like. I, I watched a few videos of it on YouTube, but I haven't downloaded. But I've been meaning to, ever since listening to that podcast. I've been it's meaning on to. Hulu. Oh, it is. Okay, it's, so I'll just go and watch watch it on Hulu and save and, myself uh, some time. The first about the first five six episodes are kind of comedy, but after about episode seven, the shit just hits the fan. And literally after every episode, except for there's one episode recently where they they killed off one bad guy and they're jumping to the next bad guy. There's an in-between episode where it's very lighthearted, but other than that, after episode seven, every episode you're just like, "Oh shit!" Some pretty pretty <laughs> strong meat. And just for people who don't have Tumblr accounts, for all you like genre fans and stuff, Tumblr is a good place if you find the right people to find lots of really neat genre art. Um, Star Wars, Star Trek. Yes, without all the bullshit and spanglies and look at me's, it's just here's you know lots of lots of brilliant um, genre related art you know that people have done for like their Deviant Art account or stuff, but they just put it up on. It's just a picture on Tumblr, you know. It's no like, hey, look at me, hey, you know. As a matter of fact, most people you don't even know if it's like a man or a woman or who or the personality of who's posting it. You can only sort of piece it together by what they're posting. So it can be very mysterious. But if you like, you know, fan art and um, and there's people who like I've seen so many behind the scenes Star Wars pictures that I've never seen before, making of from the old movies and from other movies and if you are a fan of moving GIFs yeah you should check out Tumblr because it's all there there's behind the scenes there's that one scene in Deathly Hallows where Harry's like let's end this together and they drop off the day the bridge and then they're just separating and they're just clawing at each other mm-hmm. I found the picture where they're filming them clawing at each other and it's just ridiculous because they're both Ralph Fiennes and Daniel Radcliffe are hanging upside down in front of his green screen, and they're pretty much just bitch laughing each other. Right, right, right. And 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 they're just going, ah, we'll fix it in post, you know. Just as long as you're not laughing, and <laughs> we'll we'll, dig- we'll digital it up. And it did come out very good in the movie too. It came out really good. But it was enough for me to go. How did they film this? <laughs> I just see Ralph Fiennes like, all right, let's do this, and, and Daniel Cobb's Radcliffe's like, that's no, that's my no place. Don't touch me, no. <laughs> I'm looking at my Tumblr. It's geekygirlexperience.tumblr.com. Okay, no, no the. the. Okay, forget the the. Yes. So. Not the band the the, but the actual word the. Forget I'll forget I even mentioned it.
friends And I know it's only a story But for so many it's more than that It's a world all on its own Where we want to put on that sorting hat I will miss the train ride in On smiling from the times I had with them.
Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libson.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.